the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hi, and welcome to Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm Kate Sutter, your host for today. And we are excited to be back for another episode in season two of the pod. We are talking about migraines today and joining us for this conversation are two of the providers in our headache center here at Cincinnati Children's. I am joined in the studio by Dr. Marielle Kabush-Samaha and Dr. Shalanda Slater. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having yes, us. Thank you for having today. us. Amazing. We are, um, so we have these two ladies here because they really represent kind of our approach to care for kiddos who have headaches of many different types, including migraines. And Dr. Slater, you're a pediatric psychologist and you specialize in pain management and specifically pain related to headaches. Will you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? Sure, sure. So as a psychologist, our our division, um, the Division of Behavioral Medicine and Clinical Psychology is quite large, maybe around 150 psychologists. And so we have a team of psychologists who work specifically with our headache team, both in clinic. So kind of providing education and some interventions for children who are um, newly diagnosed with headaches. And then also our our medical providers, specialists in the headache center, um, refer patients to behavioral medicine for, for treatment. So those are the two primary parts of my job is to, to actually assist during those new patient visits in terms of the diagnosis of headache and then um, provide intervention to help children and adolescents cope better with their chronic pain, specifically with their headaches. I'm really excited to dig into this today. Um, and Dr. Kabush Samaha, you are the director of the Headache Center and a pediatric neurologist. And I think that when we're thinking headaches, most people are probably like, yes, neurologist. We need um, we need somebody who understands the brain. Um, will you tell us a bit about how um, the Headache Center came to be and what you do to help kids in this space? Sure. So the Headache Center has been here for more than 25 years. Actually, we celebrated the 25th year last year. Um, It started with a child neurologist and Dr. Powers as a psychologist. Um, And gradually they realized that there were so many referrals that they needed some specialist. And this is when Dr. Hershey started and he started the Headache Center with Dr. Powers as a co-director. So um, since the beginning, there was a child neurologist. So it's more a multidisciplinary approach with a child neurologist who are headache specialists and the behavioral medicine as well as nurse practitioners to help out with the follow-up. So it grew gradually, and now we are uh, three child neurologists, and we will be growing hopefully soon to five, six. We have four uh, psychologists, five five nurse practitioners, and uh, five nurse coordinators and, and educators in our clinic right now. Truly a multidisciplinary approach. Correct. So, um, and I've heard anecdotally, so many families that are happy to find you when they feel like they've been struggling so much. Um, As we jump into our conversation, I would love to start with just kind of a foundation of terminology. 
because migraine um, was a topic that we heard from families specifically when we asked, what do you want to know more about? This was a topic that families said we want to know more. So want to make sure that we kind of start from the right place with how do we talk about a migraine or migraines or like what's the appropriate terminology in this space? Sure. It's, it's, I, the way I would describe it. So migraine is a disease and it's a chronic disease because you're born with it. It's hereditary. The headache is the symptoms of the disease. So, um, some patient will just describe it. I have a small headache and after evaluating them, we'll say, no, it's a migraine, but not one of the bad one because people think of migraine, we're throwing up, we're in bed, we cannot do anything. That's the really severe symptomatology. Um, in migraine itself, you have different type, but this is more going into science. There are migraine, by definition, is a headache um, that is associated with other symptoms like nausea, vomiting, light or sound sensitivities, and you don't need all of them. You need two of them. And 85% uh, of the patient will have somebody in their family with migraine, so it is hereditary, and yeah, their exam should be normal. So that's the most frequent um, migraine that comes to clinic. There are other migraine where you have, they have an aura, so they have some symptoms that uh, tells them a headache is going to happen. It's the typical migraine, but it's not very frequent in uh, children. So you just mentioned kids and migraines. Can kids get migraines? Okay, let's do that. Uh, yes, of course. And how do they start? They can start at any age. We even have some patients who are less than two years. Now, boys start at a younger age. And when they go through puberty, their headache gets better, and half of them can outgrow it in their 20s. For girls, it's the opposite. They start around the age of maybe eight, nine, when the hormones are changing. Their headache can get worse during teenager years, and they'll have their migraine until menopause. So it's totally two different curves between boys and girls. What is the difference between migraine headache and a headache of a different origin or a different type? And how can parents begin to tell the difference? Sure. So, so migraine, you do need a, other symptoms that happen with the headache. So it, you have the nausea, the vomiting, light, sound sensitivities. And there is a um, classification for that by the International Classification of Headache Disorders, um, where they combine all these symptoms with the normal exam. So if a patient has a headache and they have fever or sore throat, that is not a migraine. Uh, for migraine, you need to have had five attacks to really diagnose it as, as a migraine, too. So if somebody has their first headache, we cannot really say it is a migraine. Some other stuff needs to be evaluated, especially in kids. So I myself have had migraine since I was a teenager. Um, and one of the things that has been a struggle with it is the just the fact that it's a struggle. Um if we have kids who are kind of in those beginning stages, they're getting headaches, um, trying to determine what it is, how should families be thinking about helping them just kind of manage the fact that there's something new and it hurts a lot? Well, for me, the main thing is to believe them. And what we find in clinics that school, parents, they don't realize that kids can have headaches. So they just let them go, go rest and forget about it. It's just to believe the kids they're in pain, that will make a big difference. Um, and that's why we have a multidisciplinary clinic because our behavioral uh, partners in clinic 
they, they help us understanding the kids and what their needs. Because the treatment of headache is not just giving them medication, it's helping them figure out what are the triggers, uh, do they have, we have, the anxiety is really a cofactor, a comorbidities that increases the risk of attacks. It's not the cause, but increases the risk of attacks. So if we don't treat other stuff, we, we won't be able to manage the headache. So for me, the main thing is to really believe the child, make sure that the teachers understand those headaches. And if they can become very disabled, then in clinic we have other options we can help them with. Dr. Slater, do you want to add anything about disability? And sure, sure. We do try to make sure that we provide education not just to the families, but also to members of their own community. So we make sure they have a school letter, because we often have families and children who come in saying, just like Dr. Kabush said, they don't believe me, they won't let me out of class to go to the nurse's office. So we are very clear about what the diagnosis is, what the treatment plan is, what that might look like when the child is at home and at school, encouraging um, our patients, our children, the children in our clinic to report you know, their headaches immediately, and then talk to them about ways to, like both pill-based treatments and also other sorts of ways to improve their coping as far as um, helping to treat the headache. And can there be different types of migraine headache or for a patient does it typically present in the same way? The presentation can differ. Like I said, there is the regular migraine where they start with a headache. Um, migraine, by definition, is half of the head hurting. For kids, it's the whole head. It's usually in the front. And they'll get the pain and they'll get the associated symptoms. Some Another type of migraine, it's called migraine with aura. So mm -hmm. they had the warning signs that can lose vision, see spots and things like that. It is still a migraine, but the definition is a little bit different because you have the aura then you don't need five attacks to diagnose it. Two attacks is enough to say that's migraine with aura. Um, other type we see frequently is what we call chronic migraine. It just by definition is more than 15 headaches a month. It means you have to be aggressive to treat them because the kids can be affected, mm -hmm. their disability, they miss school. Um, the, the classification has at least 357 pages, so there are very specific ones, but these are the major ones. Another one that we see a lot is what we call um, analgesic overuse headaches. So the problem is you're treating it with pain medicine, but if you use them more than 15 times a month, you start having side effects from the medicine, and the medicine, one of the side effects is headache. So it will add on their migraine, and they end up coming with a headache every day, every day, every day. That sounds like quite a catch-22. Yeah, yeah. Can, can a particular patient's migraine change over time? Or if they have migraine with aura as a child, will they always have that type? Good question. They can have different types. So they can have the migraine without aura, with aura. It's not a change in time. It can happen at any time, at any age. They can have all these different ones at the same time. So when we put it on, when we see a patient and we put it in our notes, we specify migraine with aura, migraine without aura, chronic headaches. So if they have all three, we will put all three of them. Interesting. So it's possible for a single patient to experience all of them at Correct. any given time. Correct. So I've heard before and have experienced myself that there are different stages. So you mentioned the aura stage, if it's a migraine with aura. Um, can you explain a little bit about what those stages yeah, yeah. of the migraine are? 
Well, the first stage is called prodrome. So a few days before the migraine or the headache, people feel fatigued, they don't know what's going on, they don't feel right. And then the stage typically is the aura, but not everybody will feel it. Um, the aura is because the blood vessel is constricting, so you have less blood going to the brain. But if it doesn't constrict too much, then they don't feel it. So from the prodrome feeling tired, then the aura that may, may feel or not, it's happening but they may not feel it, then you get the pain. Um, the pain usually is at least four hours up to 72 hours. And then gradually when the pain goes, you still have the postdrome where you're still exhausted, tired, and things like that. So all patients can go through all these phases before the headache goes away. That post-drome phase is the one that I call the feel like I got hit by a truck. Yes, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it happens every single time. Um, so my next question is about causes or triggers. I know that um, we've discussed the fact that migraine as a disease is hereditary, um, seemingly very closely linked to, um, to a genetic predisposition for it. But what do we understand about triggers and environmental factors that can help or um, help a child or make their, their condition worse? Yes, certainly. So there are several different, there are multiple triggers for, for migraine headaches. And so the way we think about them is we call them healthy habits or healthy lifestyle habits. So those are the things that kids engage in or do every day that some, most of the time without even knowing it can contribute to their headaches. So we kind of classify them as hydration, um, eating, sleep, exercise. So we definitely educate them about how it's important to stay hydrated, um, how much they're supposed to be drinking, staying away from caffeine, um, making sure they're eating foods that kind of might provide them with the vitamins and, and things like that that, they, that might be helpful. Um, for headaches, um, making sure they're getting enough sleep and enough exercise. And then another big trigger for many of our patients is stress. And so that is sort of a big part of our evaluations in their initial visit is, okay, what, what sorts of things are stressing you out? It could be school, are there family issues? Are there mood concerns that might be going on? Are there behavioral issues? and sort of try to pinpoint what those triggers are and then kind of talk about, all right, what are some treatments that might help you or some interventions might help you deal with better with those stressors or address the mood issues. So you mentioned earlier, um, Dr. Kabush, that um, female patients, when their hormones start to change, could be the time when they have the first migraine. Um, do we know that hormones are related to how they present kind of as that patient progresses through life? Well, there are a lot of studies about it. And there's a study that was uh, done by the University of Cincinnati, their headache center and our headache center, and did show that the hormonal changes in female can trigger headaches. Um, any sudden change on the body of a child that has the genetic predisposition can actually trigger headaches. You may see Patient, for example, if the weather changes, they get a bad headache because they're so sensitive to the barometric pressure, they can feel it, they end up with a bad headache. Uh, so the hormonal changes are the same for, for girls and it's a big change for them and it is associated with more headaches. 
um, a sudden change in the estrogen before like the menstrual period that's a big change on the body and we see a lot of girls they have like a bad headache two days before their periods and it is triggered by that sudden change boys don't have those sudden change and those variation as much as girls so if we think about the symptoms um, that, that kids are having, there are plenty of these that sound like they could be migraine related. It's kind of a broad spectrum of how it shows up for each individual patient. But are there cases where it could be something else going on and it looks like migraine, but it isn't actually? Yes, there are some symptoms that we have to be careful with. And, and we always tell our patient, if you have a mig- even if you have the diagnosis of migraine, doesn't mean you're not gonna get another type of headaches. So we call them red flags. Um, for example, if it's the worst headache ever, and it's different than your regular migraine, you need to go to the ER or talk to your primary care provider because a bleed can be the same. You'll be light sensitive, a bleed in the brain can do that. But this will be the worst headache ever. Um, any headache before the age of six, we have to be careful with. Um, if they have a strong family history of migraine, we still can diagnose them. We always get an imaging. Um, the other one is a headache that always wakes the child from sleep, not waking up with the headache in the morning. If, if the headache is waking up the child from sleep on a regular basis, we won't diagnose the migraine unless we get an imaging. Uh, because it can be when you lay down, the pressure goes up. So if it's happening on a regular basis, there's something else we need to uh, look into. If, um, let's say the patient has some abnormal uh, exam, like they cannot see well anymore. So if they start complaining of abnormalities in their vision, weakness, or other stuff with the headache, then we do get concerned about. So I'd like to explore the association with anxiety a little bit further because everything we have going on, kids have more anxiety than ever. Um, What is the approach that is typically recommended to kind of find that regulation of anxiety that can help with the headaches? There can be children can with headaches can be at increased risk for anxiety. So when we're evaluating children and adolescents in our new patient clinic, we do make sure we screen for anxiety symptoms. And so when children are feeling frequently worried, whether it's about their headaches or other sorts of things, their coping skills aren't working, that it's resulting in increased disability when it's triggering their headaches, those are kind of red flags on the psychologist's side about hey, maybe there's an additional intervention that might need to happen. So I usually will talk to children and families about the different options as far as therapy goes. And those are, we do have a therapy that's specifically focused on coping with pain. And so if a child says, it's generally about my headaches that I'm worried about, then usually that will be the first line of treatment that we might kind of discuss with the family about hey, let's do cognitive behavioral therapy focused on managing your headaches, learn different strategies to cope with those stressors. If a child tells me that their worry is frequent just in general about things unrelated to their headaches and it's affecting their their functioning and they're disabled by it, I might start with that particular presenting problem first and about, okay, let's talk about the treatments for anxiety, whether it's therapy or medication, because treatment of that particular psychological issue will automatically probably just make their headaches better. So that's generally kind of how we'll kind of just sort of tease that apart about, okay, 
in what situations do you feel worried? How often? What sorts of things do you feel worried about? How disabled are you by your worry? So it's interesting because it sounds like what you're sharing with us is that the anxiety can both, um, anxiety by itself can be a trigger of the headache of the migraine. Yes. But then at the same time, the headache itself, the migraine and the pain itself can be the cause of the anxiety too. And so teasing it apart sounds like it's, it's an important piece of helping a a, a patient make progress. Definitely. Definitely. And when patients get referred for therapy to behavioral medicine, oftentimes if there's comorbid anxiety, our practitioners will treat both that both, because both those things can be true. So treating the general anxiety, but also making sure that child or adolescent has coping skills to help them with their headaches, with their pain in general. So that's a great in kind of introduction to how your team approaches treatment, um, that working through the other things that are happening with kids is, is an important part of it. Can we talk a little bit about medication interventions that are appropriate for children as well? Sure, sure. So uh, when a child comes in for evaluation and we make the diagnosis for migraine, so we present the treatment as abortive, how we're going to break the headache, and preventive. So the abortive is mostly uh, medication. And migraine, it's a, we call it neurovascular, so there is a changes in the brain due to the nerve that starts secreting a hormone. It's called CGRP. And then that hormone will cause an inflammation, it's like a swelling around the blood vessels, and the blood vessels start stretching, and that's what's hurting. So the initial treatment is, let's try to stop that inflammation. So we use a lot of ibuprofen, Aleve, all these anti-inflammatory medications, we call them. For these to work, they have to get the right dose and they have to take it as soon as the pain starts because you want to hit it when the inflammation is small. So that's the initial treatment. Now, if these headaches are stubborn, they don't respond, then we go to a different type of medication that are approved for kids. Uh, they're called triptan. And what they do, they constrict the blood vessel to stop the headache. They are very effective, but we cannot use them more than six times a month. So we're limited on how many. Uh, There are medications that work on that CGRP, but these are only approved in adults, so they're very limited uh, in kids. Uh, There are a lot of studies to try to get them approved. So that's the initial abortive treatment, and we usually make sure that they understand they cannot treat more than three headaches a week with it. In addition to the medicine, we really emphasize some sports drinks, electrolyte to hydrate during the headache, because a quick hydration can help the headache break much faster. So that's the abortive treatment to break it. Uh, The second part is the preventive, and this is when the multidisciplinary is really important because there are medication we can use in the background that prevent those headaches. And in addition to the coping skills and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and there are studies that showed a combination of both helps more than just the medical treatment, plus the healthy habits. So the preventive medicine is much bigger. Uh, Starting a medication, usually if the patient is very disabled, we do offer preventive medications if they're having more than two, three headaches a week. If we can control it with just the abortive, we don't push right away because uh, the study that was done showed that in six weeks, kids improve really markedly just by treating their headache the right way and changing their healthy habits. If they come back in six weeks to see us, 
and they're still having too many headaches and they're still disabled, this is when we become a little bit more aggressive with preventive medications. Dr. Slater, when you were sharing with us earlier some of those healthy habits that kids can um, kind of work into their everyday lives that will help their headaches, you had mentioned staying away from caffeine. And I know that there are anecdotally people who say that caffeine can help when you need something abortive. I'd love to understand more, like, is there any science around whether or not the caffeine is helpful? It's very tricky. Yeah, you see it in some of the medicine. They do add the caffeine in it over the counter. So the caffeine is what we call vasoconstrictor a little bit. So it does constrict the vein. So it does have some signs that it can work. The problem with the caffeine, it does dehydrate you. So uh, it's like a diuretic. You drink your soda, you're going to pee half of what you're drinking that day. If you use caffeine more than twice a week, then you can start having caffeine headaches. So it's very tricky. We usually don't recommend it because kids, if we tell them, drink some caffeine with a headache, in their mind, oh, I can drink as many caffeine. And we have kids on energy drinks. And if we do that, we're going to make their headache worse. There are much... Um, there are many more medications that are more effective than the caffeine, for sure. You mentioned ibuprofen as one of the abortive med- medications, and that feels very approachable. Um, most families have ibuprofen Correct. at home. Is that something that families should use if they have a child who has a headache, um, regardless of what type it might be? Like any, any just kind of frontline a family has a kiddo with a headache, what what can they do? Well, the main thing is to make sure it's not something else. So the red flags that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, or a fever, or a sore throat and stuff like that. Um, if it's the regular headaches and there's nothing else than that, yes, ibuprofen, they can use it. The only thing is they need to know what's the right dose. Usually the way we count it is about 10 milligram per kilogram. So if a child is 30 kilo, about 65 pounds, for example, he needs 300 milligrams. So it's 10 per kilo, and it's higher than what's written on the box. And then they have to take it as soon as the pain starts. So if they wait, it's not going to work. So the dose they're taking and the initial dose they're taking is important. And to make sure they don't choose it more than three times a week. only other thought I had about it is that even starting with the primary, their primary care physician might be a great place to start if they're not having super frequent headaches to actually address all those questions. And then if they need a referral to a specialist, then the primary care doctor might actually just send them over to the headache center or similar. That was going to be my very next question. You absolutely beat me to it, <laughs> Dr. Slater. No, you're absolutely okay. That was a good point. Yes. It was, it's such a good point. And that was going to be my next question with when does it make sense to call a doctor if if a child is is having headaches? So sounds like PCP, they their primary care, called. fairly quickly. Just I agree to with have... Dr. Slater. This is their point of uh, contact. It should be they need to mention it. They should not feel bad when they get to the office. Uh, or our com- community pediatrician are trained with that. They get all the information. We're in good contact with uh, with our providers. So. I agree that the first contact should be their primary care. And then through that conversation with a primary care physician, what are some of the indicators that it might make sense for that patient to see a specialist? 
Usually we ask our primary care to send them if they tried, let's say the initial treatment, it doesn't work, if the patient is really disabled or if the parents wants that. But usually um, if they're having too many headaches, they fail their ibuprofen, they fail their primary treatment that they tried, they can be referred to us. We had talked a bit earlier about believing the child when they share with an adult that they're in pain, that they have a headache. And I think the school setting can potentially be more difficult for a child to advocate for themselves um, and share with the right people that they have something going on. Any thoughts on how we can help kids know that they can go to an adult and what parents can do um, to help make sure that the, the help is available for them if they need it? Sure. You know, as I said earlier, like we do try to make sure families have a letter so they can communicate that information both with the child's teachers. When we have a younger child, we make sure there's a letter to the school and then there's actually a specific letter to the teacher saying, here's what the diagnosis is, here's what we'd like to happen when this child is at school. And so parents usually take in those letters. Sometimes they have meetings with the teachers, with um, school administrators, with school counselors to discuss what the diagnosis is, what that might look like at school, how they can support the child at school, making sure that they can come and take their medication, um, drink their sports drinks. And when they have been referred to behavioral medicine or to a psychologist like me for therapy, that they can use some of the coping skills that we've taught the child to use um, at school. There are times when there is a higher level of school intervention that's needed, and so in those times, someone from our team, whether it's the neurologist or nurse practitioners, we have social workers and nurses that help us as well, will discuss accommodations like in public school, what's called a 504 plan or an IEP, where there are specific, actually, accommodations written down for teachers um, to follow about what might be helpful for the child at school to help them best learn, whether it's getting extra time, um, being allowed um, to come to the nurse's office to rest while they're taking their medication, or usually they work with the, the school officials, work with the parents and the patient about what that child needs. So that's kind of tailored specifically to the child, but sometimes that's a higher level that's needed as far as making sure those accommodations are implemented. In the school setting, if it's a patient whose migraine presentation typically includes nausea and vomiting. Is it typically best for kiddos to go home if they have one and are sick in the school environment? Yeah, so with, with the migraine, it takes time for the inflammation to build up and to get to a point the child is throwing up. And that's why we, we really emphasize the need to treat right away. Don't wait. Don't wait until you're really nauseous to treat it. Treat it as soon as the pain starts. There are medication that if, if a child always throw up right away, we do have medication that just sublingual under the tongue, and it may uh, work better for the kids who have a lot of nausea. Do they need to go back home? No. Um, it's a good question at, during those times with COVID. So we had a lot of migraine patients sent home because they just have a headache and they were worried it was COVID. So we had to write notes. No, they don't have COVID. This is their migraine. Please don't send them home. They need to stay in class. But if they have the diagnosis for migraine, they don't have fever, but they had the typical headache and now they're throwing up, 
they don't need to go home. You just treat them the, the same way like any other headaches. So how can parents support their children when they are in the pain stage of a migraine? We've applied medications, but like, are there any kind of best practices to just helping them be more comfortable? Yeah, a lot of kids likes to be in a dark room, quiet room, uh, make sure they get their treatment, um, ask them if a cold compress will help, and uh, if the headache's still there, they're still not feeling well, they need to repeat the medicine once, but if it continues for too long, they need to call their primary care or call if they're from the headache center because there are other options more aggressive that we can bring. But that a lot of kids may need to just stay in a darker room. That's why with the note for school, we say they can go rest for half an hour until the medication kicks in. Anything else, Dr. Slater? You can yeah, I mean, I think that the, the other, probably the reason why we have this multidisciplinary clinic in that psychologists help with the behavioral side of it is we also, a big part of headache treatment is encouraging functioning. So we do want them totally to rest for a short period to treat their headaches. But even when it's vomiting and those sort of symptoms, we want them to get back into their daily activities. So disability is also one of the, the primary outcomes, how we know things aren't going well. We have them fill out our Piedmidus, which is the headache-related disability measure. Um, and so that's kind of what we focus on, both the neurologist and the psychologist, is how do we improve functioning, not just decreasing the headache frequency, but also how do we improve functioning, that we want you to continue on at school, we don't want you to miss school, we don't want you to miss fun activities, what can we do to try to help you continue with your day? And I always, we always explain it to children that research has shown that sometimes functioning improves before pain improves. So sometimes the first thought is, I need to wait until I feel better. But if you have chronic pain, most days you might not feel well. You might miss days, months of school, and sometimes we have children who come in and that is the situation, and they're sometimes taken aback when we say, well, yes, we think you should go to school tomorrow. They're like, what? <laughs> but basically, to say that, you know, you have to practice those sort of things, mm -hmm. that when you're at home day after day, you're just thinking about your headache, even if you're at school, even if it's just you're being distracted from your pain, um, those sort of things are more helpful than remaining home and not remaining engaged in your daily activities. I can see that being a little tough as a parent, watching your kid, your child, you know, in pain, struggling, and you're like, we're going to go do what we had planned to do today anyway. But it sounds like that can often be a, a good thing for them. Correct. Yes. And, and their outcome is better. When we see patients coming in and we look at that disability scoring and they miss 60 days of school, I'll say, mm -hmm. ooh, because they start being anxious if they want to go back to school. And then you're anxious right. and you start having a vicious cycle because they don't feel comfortable anymore. They've been out for two months. Really, we're going to stuck them back in school. And that's why we encourage them and the parents to, yeah, be a little bit tough. It's a little bit frustrating. You have the treatment plan now. So you have something at school to help you if the headache is bad. But send the kids at school. If they cannot stay at school, it means they need to be in the emergency room to be treated. So we need to be a little bit more aggressive. But if they're going to school the same, uh, another patient with the same type of migraine, and they're going to school, they do much better with the treatment, with the preventive treatment. So we try to explain that to, to the family that 
they will do better if they continue. We'll give you all the letters for the school to understand. They're not concentrating well. They cannot function as much as a, a kid who does not have headache, but they need to be there and you need to help them during that, I'll say, a little hump in their life. Yeah, and I think that sometimes where the psychologist in terms of the intervention comes in, because you're right, that it's usually, it can be a negative reaction when we say, we do want you to return to function as much as you can. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's when sometimes I'll say, and that's where I come in, the how, how do I do that? You want me to do this really hard thing, but how do I do that? And so that's when I talk to them about, there's some skills, active skills that we can teach you, like relaxation and pacing and cognitive strategies that will actually help you um, get back into your daily life, even with your chronic pain. You have both expertly answered all of the questions that I have prepared for us today. Is there anything on this topic that you'd like to make sure that we cover that we haven't touched on already? For me, I would like to say that kids are more resilient than us and we need to trust them with their symptoms and they need to know that there are treatments. There are uh, some easy treatment that we can use and encourage the parents to talk about it if that their kids is complaining of headaches and starting, like Dr. Slater said, at the primary care and they can guide them which way to go. Excellent. Anything else, Dr. Slater, that we haven't, haven't talked about? No, I don't think so. I think the only other um, topic that I thought about that has come up more often recently is just that sometimes even before kids get in to see us, um, there are some electronic ways that they might be able to kind of learn some strategies to, to cope with pain and stress. Um, there's one called WebMap where it's an online um, website where you can do the cognitive and behavioral mm -hmm. strategies independently. You know, sometimes I'll encourage children to, like I have my watch that kind of encourages the relaxation and just thinking about things in that sort of way about, okay, what can I, what things can I do on my own? And there are lots of, I think, electronic ways that kids can do that nowadays that can help even as they might be waiting to kind of get in to see a psychologist. Um, that might be a helpful thing for families to know as well. So I think that um, anything that helps with relaxation, mindfulness, those yes. types of things that are good for yeah, anyone and everyone, yes. but can be a really great place to start if they have specific needs. Yes. Perfect. I want to add one thing that uh, at Children's Hospital in the Headache Center, it's a really exciting time for pediatric headache. There's so many new things out there. I mentioned earlier the CGRP treatments, and there's a lot of studies going on to try to get it approved. There are a lot of behavioral mm -hmm. uh, uh, studies that are going on through an app to send coping skills through the app. Um, we have some studies on how the brain's functioning to understand the functioning of the brain, how it gets better with all these medication, with all these therapies that the, the patient gets for migraine. So if any of the families are interested, it, it is a really great time for migraine in a way there's so many new things that are coming up in the last two years. I love that you've um, mentioned that. Thank you. And I think that the, the message I'm hearing through that is that there are, there are interventions, there are things that families likely haven't tried yet. So Correct. the kiddos don't need to suffer. If, if they're struggling, ask for more help. Correct. Ask, ask again. 
think of new ways if there are families who perhaps haven't included some of the more psychological side of the treatments. Um, try those relaxation things. Yeah. I just, there are so many options and so many steps and certainly hope that there aren't kids out there who are struggling through this every day when there are more options for them. And sooner you treat it, better the outcome is. So even if it's one headache a week, don't just let it go. It's, studies show that if you really make the change when they're kids, they will do better as adults. Fantastic information all around. I'm so grateful to both of you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having here. us. You've been listening to the Young and Healthy Podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode was produced on September 15, 2022. The content of the Young and Healthy Podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. This episode was produced by Symphony Fair Harris. And as always, we thank Stephen Greco for our musical stylings. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.